The views expressed by Matt are his alone and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or its components. Welcome to the Prepared X Podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Prepared X podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton. And just before we get started, I'd like to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the International Crisis Management Conference. The conference this year is in Newport, Rhode Island. We hope you can join us. And it's uh, it's uh, June 7th and 8th this year. I think we've got a cocktail hour scheduled for June 6th. So if you can come in the evening on June 6th, that would be great to do some networking. Go to crisisconferences.com. That's crisisconferences.com uh, to uh, book your tickets. And hopefully we'll see you at the conference in June. Well, today I'm joined by Matt Kirshner. Thanks for uh, having me, Rob. I appreciate the uh, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no problem. I know we've uh, been chatting backwards and forwards for a while on LinkedIn, so uh, I'm glad we could uh, you know make this happen. Before we get started today, Matt, um, just for our, uh, our listeners, uh, can you let them know a little bit more, more about your career so far? Sure, absolutely. So um, again, thanks again for allowing me to to to, to be with you today. I've, I've been following your channel a lot. Great content. Um, encourage the folks that work for me to 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 listen in and. And uh, read what you've been putting out because it's a uh, you can always learn some little nugget of information from somebody else, and uh, you, you have uh, no shortage of those. So uh, make sure I give you that little plug before we get started. Appreciate that. Thanks. Um, but as far as my career, you know, this month I'm pushing the better part of 25 years with uh, within the some level of Department of Defense in various career fields of sort of start out the National Guard in North Carolina, and then you know eventually made my way as an officer into the infantry, not by choice. Uh, and moved over to logistics uh, for a little bit, and then uh, was able to get into explosive ordnance disposal. You know, as I joke, I sold my soul to the devil to get there because it was difficult to, to finally get to the course. Right. And I sold it twice over to graduate. It's not a not a course. Uh, uh, it's not not a very easy course uh, to say. And then uh, did that for many years. Uh, deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, in different different environments, and then uh, transitioned over what the army calls into one of the functional areas, and I went to a nuclear and counterproliferation functional area, fifty two, um, and at that point is when I was able to eventually get into DTRA or DITRA, um, where I started off in two thousand twelve when I finally got there after having been in the military and then you know twelve plus years uh, as a nuclear exercise planner, uh, first time doing exercises. Um, where I really learned kind of, the, the, again, the basics on how to do those, how to do exercises, kind of how they work um, and how to plan and such. Sure. Uh, around 2015, moved over to be a uh, special operation forces exercise planner, so soft exercise planner. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, dealing with then WMD. So that's chem, bio, rad, nuke, explosives, et cetera. Uh, and then then I was able to transition in 2017 to come back to, to DITRAD now as a civilian, as the branch chief um, of this um of this branch where I essentially I manage um, a multitude of training events and exercises for the agency sure. dealing specifically with WMD and, you know, special operations command, et cetera. 
Great. Well, I appreciate uh, you providing that uh, background. I uh, appreciate that. Um, as we move along here, um, we, I've been adding this question in more recently uh, for um, you know those that we're interviewing. And uh, you know we like to listen a little bit more about uh, the challenges that uh, they've had throughout their professional careers. What, was your, what would your biggest challenge be and why? Um, the most challenging role um, I've had is is the current one I'm in now uh, by far uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, number one is the quantity of training events and exercises, just a sheer number of events per year. So for example, over the, <clears throat> excuse me, over the last couple of years, we've averaged about 10 to 15 training events. And what I mean by training events is an actual, be it a course, might be one day, three day, five day, 10 day, what have you, uh, where you could have anywhere between you know, five or 10 people on the low end and up to 50 on the high end. Um, in addition to that exercises, right, separate from training uh, for the year, we would average, again, about 10 to 15 per year. Yep. Um, and that might vary on, um, could be tabletops, it could be uh, senior leader seminars, as we would call them, like prepping senior leaders for, you know, a, a, a tabletop just for those yep. uh, seniors. And what I mean by senior leaders, that's political appointees, elected officials, um, general officers, you know, those folks that have a very limited amount of time where you do essentially a specialized tabletop for them, yep. um, all the way through uh, field training exercises or full-scale exercises, yep. as we might call them. So the quantity is, just becomes, um, is it's not difficult to manage. It just requires a lot of planning. Um, a lot go into it. As you know, you have your, from, you know, concept to initial to mid to final planning events, uh, then execution plus along there you have site, we, we do a site survey. So we go to wherever the exercise will be. Um, and by and large, the, um, the issue we have with exercises is by and large, they're in other countries. Um, so now you're traveling to country X where you've never been. Yep. Small group of people that then go through your sites and see which training event you might work versus another one. Sometimes they're in they're in a in a city in the middle of a, the capital of city, uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm there in the middle of a training area for the military, which might be, you know, 50 miles in one direction, um, and it takes you five hours to get there because you know Thailand isn't exactly known for its you know traffic. Uh, oh yeah, traffic. I, I, I know that. <laughs> Yeah, I've so, experienced that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So you know that's that's one aspect, just of quantity, and then the other um, aspect of what makes this the most challenging is complexity. Yeah. Um, as I touched on, location is one thing. So, by and large, most of the training events that we do will be in the United States, continental United States. By and large, there's some that go external, but and go international, but by and large, they're in the United States. And then the exercises, by and large, are outside the United States. So just the sheer distance is one aspect of why it is, you know, gets more complex. But then to throw one more little wrinkle on there, there's always something simultaneously executing. Yeah. So you could have a class that has 50 people in it, say in North Carolina, as an example, but you're also you're also executing another training event, say in, you know, the West of the United States. So let's say Utah, for example, that has um, another, say, 100 people, you know, and, um, or uh, one of the exercises that we will, will we would do this upcoming year um, might be in the middle of the Pacific, 
you know, in country X, and you have to send folks there to, to then execute that 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 exercise. So, um, the, the sim simultaneous uh, executions um, happen more often than than uh, we would like. Yep. Uh, but that's the other other aspect of why it's probably the most challenging um, yep. for my position. Great. Well, I, thank you. Um, uh, throughout your career, then you've been part of, of course, as it sounds like, you know, uh, probably hundreds at this point of, of exercises and supporting them and preparing for them. Um, as it relates to preparing for nuclear and other WMD type attacks and disasters, what are the three, uh, what were the top three uh, gaps that you've found when running these types of exercises? And, and are they fairly common gaps? I would say they're common. Um two of the three are common. And what I would say, number one is it, it always is the same. This goes not only with training and exercises, but just in life, right. Is the limitation of time and money. Right. right? Sure. So we're only here for a certain amount of time in our own lives. Uh, and when doing exercises, you, you, you cannot exercise for an extended period of time because it costs money. Right. So in this case, if we're going to an exercise in some foreign country, well, you're paying people to be there. Um, and it gets costly very quickly. Um, not only is it costly for us to do it, but also all of the participating organizations and support organizations have to send folks to that you know, location, which could be a very expensive location just by virtue of where they are in the world. Yeah. So uh, the time and money is always, they're a direct correlation, right? So the longer the exercise is, the more cost, um, which goes back to my earlier one with, you know, you, you're supporting, and you have senior leaders uh, part of, uh, of the exercise, again, they cannot dedicate, say, five days, you know, to an event because they are doing other things, right? A four-star general, a two-star, a, a, a governor, or, a, you know, they're someone's Department of Defense uh, you know, official, whoever cannot be available for five days. So you really have to be, really have to be, uh, um, Think outside the box with regards to you know scheduling and having those individuals be available during certain windows of time say for over five days you might get them one time okay when is that one time yeah, right. so you really got to put a lot of effort into that and, and um, zero guarantee you're going to get the actual principle you want so you might get a stand and again that gets into some other things as well but that time and money guaranteed is is uh is probably number one that always seems to come in um uh, number two, this is a little bit more unique for, for technical exercises, and that is to say qualified observers and controllers, not planners, right? An exercise planner may or may not be an, excerpt, an expert in that particular, in chemical or biological or nuclear, what have you. But mm -hmm. a lot of exercise planning, as you well know, is logistics, um, and it's just coordination. As I try to explain, people who don't do this for a living like what is an exercise planner or what is that type of job? Like think of it as a wedding planner. You don't just throw the wedding together. You have to do a lot of meetings yeah. from start to finish. And it could take a year or however longer it might be. But um, there is a lot that goes into it. It's not just like, hey, show up to some, you know, go to Hawaii for a planning meeting, work on your tan and then come back. Like, no, 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 no. There are a lot of things you got to do to in order to to pull off a a good exercise. Yeah. Um, and then so the, as far as observers and controllers, to have the right person with the right training education experience to be um, on site during execution or during the planning meetings so that they can then provide that expertise over the years of their, again, training education experience 
to ensure that that uh, the right um, threats are being addressed, uh, the right information. You know, you might be using current um, um, uh, current events to then drive that scenario. Um, and sometimes they're technical in, in nature, and you want to make sure you have the right people that can answer the questions and 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 uh, shift right to left if need be during an execution. So having those qualified observers and, and controllers is vital. Uh, and then the last one is is a common one. I think that I don't. It doesn't matter if you're in the Department of Defense, a foreign government, um, or you know civilians at the local, state, uh, or federal level, and that is buy-in from not only the participating uh, organization but also the supporting organization. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So if you if you can't get and and using HCP and going through the the MEP. Um, uh, master exercise practitioner uh, program through FEMA, and you really get to to sit down and learn from, you know, the county or the state or local uh, exercise planners. That in some cases it's a second job; it's not their first. And you understand that they have a significant amount of limitations. Going back to the first one, time and money is usually number one. Um, and that they sometimes don't get the buy-in from their own organization to participate because they it's not been expressed well enough to say the county as an example yep. to that hey being a part of this exercise which will take some time for your people um, to participate in uh, is actually benefits you uh, in exercising your plans and ensuring that you're prepared for whatever might uh, you're exercising um, in some cases it you just don't get the buy-in um, and the same thing with support agency. So for folks like us, if it's not a WMD exercise, all right, I can't go support. So if, say if it's a hostage rescue, as an example, um, I have nothing to do with hostage rescue, nor do I really want to be in that. Right. It's yeah. not my, it's not our field. So um, you you do have those folks that just want to be there just to be there, and they're kind of a hindrance of of sorts. But if there is a WMD related exercise and they're being we're being asked to go, then okay, then it's a comment upon them or us to convince the powers that be that this is a a uh, a good use of of time and and resources to support. And in some cases, you know, you you just you can't you can't sell your leadership on it. Um, it kind of is what it is. But the buy-in is always an issue because some people aren't convinced that they need to participate. Um, and that can distract from the overall effectiveness of yeah. exercise. Yeah, yeah, certainly we've experienced that as well in the corporate space as well, Matt. Uh, in in terms of those uh, stakeholders, those you know, those those people that um, you know should be there versus the those people that want to be there, um, and uh, those observers that um, you know try and try and get in the way, so to speak. One thing I always want to go back to: you mentioned something. I made a note here. You know, training being different to to exercises, and uh, you know, it, it's a it's a common mistake. Certainly, again, in the corporate space, I know you're over on the DoD side, but um, you know, it's a common mistake where you know there's not enough training that goes in in terms of uh, those roles and responsibilities of the you know of those uh, team members uh, of activation of the team of going through the plan and making sure they understand it. So we find there's a you know tremendous um, gap there, uh, and they spend you know limited amount of time on the training front and then when it comes when it, when we come to do the exercise um not not you know all the time but certainly it's fairly common uh you know going to those gaps where we we would expose the gap that um actually they need to do more work on understanding um you know a number of things as it relates to their plans policies and procedures is that um that's something that's fairly common in the dod space as well unfortunately it is um and the example i would give you is and i think this is common 
with um, non-DOD, so just civilian exercises and training, um, or the training perspective, is that they um, the positions to um, for um, uh, crisis management per se, um, and you're filling in and you know an, an EOC, and a lot of these positions are part timers, so it's not their day job where they have to man a position um, in the emergency operations center of a county or you know what have you. And so uh, what happens is many people come in and don't have any background whatsoever, haven't done this before, or they're a new hire or, or whatnot. Um, and they're relying upon, you know, learning on the job, which is not the best way of doing it. Oh, yeah. um, what I have seen though, within the department of defense and, and, you know, if I look at nuclear exercises where the, right now it's just the Navy and the Air Force that own nuclear weapons, um, what they have is, you know, we'll call them battle books or just, you know, basically, you know, uh, continuity books where, hey, if you're filling in on this role and you're you're not a public affairs person, but you're going to be on the public affairs team, as an example, okay, they already have these books developed and they um, have all, everything you need to know, who to call, what numbers and, and you know, what your roles, responsibilities are, which is a great resource. Fantastic. The problem I've always seen is that in, in those particular cases, the first time they're opening the book is when the exercise starts. Yeah. And the, the book was written by someone else. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and this is the, you know, could be a brand new hire, a temp fail, whatever the case may be. And they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have, I, I can't even speak correctly, let alone you yeah. want me to get in front of a camera. I'm just like, so again, the reason that is, is because those folks filling those positions, because again, time and money, you don't have an endless pot of money to hire full time. Yeah. You know, emergency operations center folks to sit there in the, you know, and inevitably when, when that event takes place. So a lot of dual hats um, in that uh, specifically for the Navy and the Air Force that I've seen, they have quarterly drills. OK, you're in this position or you two would fill this depending on who's on shift. Let's go over this and kind of go through the motions on how uh, and what to do um, if called upon. Some some units have done it better than others. Uh, it ebbs and flows a lot to do with just the amount of, of sheer uh, amount of folks that come and go within the military. Um, every three years, someone's yeah. rotating through. And um, if there's a if there's a good plan and they exercise it routinely, quarterly, monthly, whatever the case may be, then they're much that much more better prepared for it. But um, in, in many cases, unfortunately, it does. It, you're right. It, the first time they open that book is, you know, when the exercise starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Certainly common. Um, so we, we, you spoke briefly about partners. Um, why is it important for those partners to participate in exercises? Well, I mean, the bottom line is without partners, you cannot truly exercise your plan. Right? Whatever plan that might be, it could be natural disaster, it could be uh, tornado, it could be uh, floods, uh, you know, any number, just watch the news and you can see, you know, any number of, uh, of events that might um uh, have folks into a crisis. Um, and without all of your partners um, participating, um, even from the smallest level up to the, to the, to the larger levels of federal or state or what have you, um, the less likely you are to have, you know, achieve the readiness that you need. For example, the and, and way I explain it this way, the more disenfranchised somebody is or not participating, for example, and disenfranchised, what I mean to say is, 
if uh, you're at a, the, the, the city or county or what have you, and you, your training objectives aren't, you don't feel are being addressed or you're not having a lot of participation because the larger agencies are kind of taking over, which is uh, common, unfortunately, um, you become more disenfranchised, right? Yep. Than, than participating into it. So, you know, the more disenfranchised or uh, a someone or organization is, is directly proportional to the amount of fairy dusting, air quote, uh, in an exercise. So fairy dusting would be, <laughs> hey, just imagine if you will, yeah, right. this organization has done these things and they've you know, achieved this and they've done it in record time and okay, now go, you can go do your thing. That's any exercise you're trying to minimize the amount of fairy dusting in an exercise because that eventually leads to a false sense of readiness. Yep. Um, you will have this feeling like, oh, we're, we could do all these things. Well, you did an exercise. These other folks are here that, you know, let, go back to logistics, very important, you know, oh, yeah. not only in doing exercises, but actually in the response of an event. Um, and if you don't have your logistics, you know, squared away, you're quickly going to realize that um, as, you know, unfortunately an event takes place or while you're exercising. So it is vitally important to have as many um, stakeholders or partners as possible to uh, participate. In many cases, another aspect of this is if you're new to doing exercises, be it soft exercises or, or you know, natural disasters for the state of whatever, you may or may not know who the partners are. Yep. Um, more, you know, just take a look at the news. Uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm watching as well that, you know, whatever channel you might be watching, you're looking at a lot of, you know, non-government organizations supporting you know, crises in Ukraine and other yep. places in the world, Red Cross and what have you. So if you don't realize that those folks play a, a role in some type of exercise, um, then you're, you're missing out on an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. You can imagine that there should have been, you know, or hopefully, you know, some, some kind of coordination, you know, before, um, you know, a major event like this takes place with, with all those. But as we know, there'll be some, you know, some lessons that, uh, that always come out of these uh, big events, which is leads me in actually to, to the next question here. Um, as it relates to, you know, Fukushima, I know we're, what, 11 years now? Um, actually, 11 years tomorrow, as I look at uh, the dates here, um, when this disaster took place. Um, what are some big lessons that we've taken away from there? You know, we, as you as you know, Matt, we, we like to say lessons to be learned, right? Um, we don't learn them until we actually have made those changes, validated those changes work and, uh, and put them through another exercise or, or they've been practiced for in a real, uh, a real event. So what, what can you, what can you uh, take away from that? Because some of our listeners may not be familiar uh, you know some of our younger listeners certainly who have been, only been in the corporate space or or the preparedness space for a, a few years now may not be as familiar with that event right so the Fukushima as an example right so in Japan um, I think it was because of a um, uh, tsunami or tidal wave I think is what uh, 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 yeah earthquake led earthquake. to tsunami led to the right. uh, nuclear outbreak yeah right so it and then you'll see a nuclear power plants um, by no means am I an expert on this but by and large when you see nuclear power plants they're typically by um, some body of water right so because it deals with cooling of uh, the fuel rods etc um, and so in this case uh, Japan built their this particular nuclear power plant near the ocean uh, to use the salt water or water to cool uh, as part of the, the process of nuclear power. Uh, and because there was an earthquake, then it had a tsunami and basically knocked out, um, had damaged the, um, damaged the plant. So from then you would, you know, 
if you back up in time, I'm sure somebody thought, hey, what should we have done to protect it, you know, that power plant, you know, from this, uh, you know, uh, event. And it would seem that maybe they didn't think that through. However, that worked out, not my, not my concern. The point being is that after the fact, okay, what did we learn from this? Um, you know, broadly speaking from, from an exercise perspective or lessons learned, again, lessons to be learned, 100% right on that statement, okay. um, is uh, the overall preparedness of the local community um, and even going up to say the, the, the government of, of, of Japan um, to work through that type of response. All right, so a nuclear response, be it a weapon or be it a you know, power plant, what have you, right? Radiation is radiation. Um, there are different levels, uh, different threats around the size of it, where it's located, you know, et cetera. Um, you deal with fallout, look at the Chernobyl, right? Go back to 86, you can read upon that. Uh, which is actually in the news now, but point being is that from that you can understand how radiation works and how it's distributed uh, throughout the environment, et cetera. One of the things, actually interesting enough, I didn't know this till recently, um, uh, within the, the Fukushima accident uh, was that, I, if I'm not mistaken, there was not a um, uh, modeling of radiation within ocean. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I think that's what I, if I read correctly, I might, you might be right. Yeah. But, but from that, that yeah. the government, I think the Department of Defense or just say the federal government for that matter, uh, helped develop that particular software of some kind uh, from some company, I'm sure, um, to then be able to see where the radiation would then flow in the Pacific Ocean. And of course, it makes its way to the United States. And, and that, why is that important? Not just the United States, but to other uh, neighboring yep. countries is, you know, fishing. Um, and wildlife and such. Uh, so now you can't, you know, catch, you know, whatever fish it might be. Um, and that has impacts on markets and what have you. So from that, they were able to develop that type of technology, which I, you know, is interesting. You shouldn't have to develop it after the events, right? That should have been, you know, God willing, somebody to yeah, yeah. develop for it, but that's, that's part of it. And, you know, the point I'd also make too, and to tie back to, you know, more um, general exercise planning, you know, the purpose is it's vitally important to use your after action reports and whatever database for lessons learned you might have. For the Department of Defense, we use uh, the Joint Lessons Learned Information System, right? It's everyone can dump your information into this one. It's on the unclassified and classified systems where, you know, you can go back and historically look at these exercises from, you know, however many years ago and kind of see what worked, what didn't work. Etc. And one organization actually out of North Carolina, we work with quite uh, frequently, they do what's called, they call a before after action report. And essentially what that is, is they go back and do the research on the previous years, right? It might be five years, 10 years, whatever case may be, yep. or two or three. They take the lessons learned from that and then basically build a, a presentation or report that to brief all of the, the senior leaders and the participants uh, at the concept uh, planning meeting to say, okay, here's what we found over the last couple of years. Here were the, the areas that we yep. you know, did not do well. And here's where we need to focus our attention. So then the senior leader at this point, it might general officer, et cetera, will go, okay, here is the focus of the exercise based on what we've done this past couple of years. And, you know, here's the why. Yep. Um, that has been, that's the only organization I know that has done that. And it is uh, um, uh, a fantastic um, product yeah. that focuses everybody in that particular direction but as far as specific stuff that we do in terms of 
um, lessons learned and what we take away from certain events. Um, Fukushima really being a more of a crisis management or consequence management, excuse me, event, not really what I'm, Dietra does those types of things, absolutely. Uh, in my current role, not really something that we do, but what we'll take is, um, you know, terrorist events that use WMD. Um, and one example, you you are, will have, you know, a Boston bombing podcast here shortly, um, or it's already posted one of the two. And we can take that particular event and replicate those training aid, those devices used in the Boston bombing and replicate to the, as, as uh, detailed as we can so that that next unit can then use that as a, as a, as a training event. Um, it's real world. Um, in some cases, it just took place. Uh, obviously, it's years, years later. But when it did come out, using that particular device for others to train on is, is, uh, is another aspect of kind of how we uh, tie into to, uh, specific training or exercises to ensure that the organizations that are participating are getting real world uh, threats that they can then uh, respond to. Yeah, I like. I really like that, and, and uh, made a note here that the before AAR. I re really love that. Um, what we've done over the, you know, with some some of our customers, uh, it's very few, um, because this is just takes a little bit more work, right, in terms of that advanced planning, but benchmarking, right. So we, we what's one facility versus the next doing in terms of obviously things that, that are not going well and things that are going well, because we want to share those positives as well throughout the rest of the organization. Um, so <clears throat> we certainly request that as well, Matt. In, in our world, we'll we'll say show us your previous. Um, reports um, show us those near misses for real as well, or, or those or those real crisis uh, reports that uh, you may have uh, created based on a real event, you know, cyber, whatever it may be. And so, yeah, so that that you know that fact gathering period is certainly something that we recommend, but um, it's certainly a challenge um, because often often it's um, you know in, in the corporate world, not often, not all the time, but certainly is a good a good amount of time where um, it'll be a senior leader, a CEO saying, "What are we doing about cyber? Are, are we ready for a?" ransomware attack or you know are we concerned about our employees uh, uh and the mental health and uh you know some kind of violent intruder attack when we start to go back to the office so it'll be kind of reactive um versus um you know having a, a programmed approach so um it's good to hear that this uh, as you call it or as they call it the before aar is uh, is taking place because that's best practice for sure oh absolutely huge success um and when you're able to participate and um observe that that event um, you, it, it's not so much an aha moment, but, uh, it, it's quickly, you realize that, oh, that is absolutely a best practice. And we need to try to incorporate that as best we can time consuming. Absolutely. Really put that effort in, but, um, it, it absolutely focuses the, uh, the upcoming exercise based on historical, um, information and everyone's seeing it, not just, you know, one planner, right? Everyone's getting like, hey, this is the focus. We're going this direction. And here's the why we're doing it. So. Yep. 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 Okay. Let's uh, let's lighten the mood a little uh, just before we start to to wrap up. Um, uh, something um, that, that pops up from time to time is a, a funny moment in an exercise. Uh, you know, uh, during an exercise, of course, this you know, serious. We're, we're, it's serious business. We're, we're planning, right? And we're we're doing these exercises, and uh, you know, we're re responding as responders. Or if you're if you're managing the exercise, you're on the control team. Uh, in your experience, your vast experience of running these exercises, what's one of those uh, funny moments that uh, you've had? Well, the one that pops out is always the funniest to me is, uh, and I would, I, I would title this story quickly to say, 
you know, um, it'd be a long title, but uh, uh, FBI agents realizing they're not that important. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> it's funny to watch. So I have personally witnessed this one time, but I've heard plenty of stories that's happening in the past. So I, having seen it one time, I know it to be true. So when dealing with uh, nuclear weapon exercises, um, be it an accident or an incident, uh, we were doing a one exercise where I was a lead planner in 2015, I think, out in Washington State. And during this event, um, the yeah, for those that don't know, the, the Marine Corps, uh, part of the Navy, uh, is responsible for the security of you know, nuclear weapons. And same with the Air Force. Air Force has their own, you know, uh, cops, and they they do the security for that. And so during this event, um, this picker exercise, the Marines are have checkpoints uh, on the way in to go to this ticker site that had, a, you know, a weapon, um, which they would do on a day to day basis anyway, twenty four seven. And so that you have you know, all these Marines as you would normally see them on, you know, TV, all kitted up and and manning a checkpoint. Well, the FBI agents roll in and the FBI is responsible for, you know, the investigation aspect of, you know, determining if it's an accident or an incident, et cetera. And the FBI agent in this particular case, I'm a handful of feet away and watching agents, you know, basically try to bypass this checkpoint. And for the purposes of the story, I'm going to call the, the Marine and Lance Corporal Snuffy, you know, <laughs> just doing his job. And, uh, you know, this agent just trying to get around this, uh, this Lance Corporal and he's like, uh, sorry, no, sir, you got to go through and get, you know, vetted and so on and so forth. And, you know, the FBI and love them to death, fine Americans, right? They, uh, you know, hey, I got my gun, I got my badge, look at my credentials, I'm an agent, I'm going to, I got to go over here, it's very important. And the Marine was having nothing of it. He's like, I, I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care what, what, what badge or gun you have. I've got guns too. And so finally the agent, and you know, I'm far enough away, I'm not hearing the, the, the back and forth, but you could just see how this was going. Yeah. And the agent just basically like, just try to go around them. Like, I'm going to go around you. Finally got to a point where the, the, the young Marine, like he pulled his firearm on an agent. Wow. And you could just see the expression on the face of the agent, like just the realization, understand that I'm, I'm really not that I'm really not that important. Like, no, they don't care right. that you are an agent. They don't. Right. And what is, if one Marine, if one Marine, another Marine sees his fellow Marine, maybe his, his, his sergeant, whatever, pull a firearm, what do you oh, think yeah. the other Marines are going to do? Yeah, everyone. Yeah, They're pulling their firearms on. They're like, yeah. you are not getting past me. Right. And so, I mean, it quickly got tamped down. It wasn't, you know, that big yeah. deal. But just to see the expression on their face is just like, you know, yes, you're important. I, yes, you are. I'm sure you're important to somebody. But to that Marine, you know, doing his job you are not um which always gets me a good chuckle just to see that uh yeah. like you're not in charge oh okay yeah so <laughs> uh, that's always the fun ones to, to hear about yeah you know I, you just you just got me thinking there about um you know uh, people who are you know i mean again it's it's individuals not to you know it's obviously not to, throughout the whole um you know three letter agency as you were mentioning there but uh, we had one uh, we're doing um part of an exercise build up and some planning for a, a new lng facility that was being built about over 10 years ago now up in canada and um we had a cons i think he was still part of a government agency um but uh, he was a former jtf2 which is you know the sf group up in canada and right. um 
you know, he was coming around and saying, well, you know, if, if a sniper was here, they could hit um, this one particular area of the uh, where the, the electric uh, components of this big facility. And, you know, you need to build a, a wall to stop somebody from shooting it. And I said, well, what about we just, you know, and this, the line, you know, it was like two or 300 yards away. I said, well, we're just, because it was just this one location specifically where you could see uh, the line of sight. And I'm, and I'm, I was a sniper, right? So I say, well, um, sniper needs a line of sight. All we're going to do is build a, you know, we're going to grow, we're going to grow a bush there. Or we're going to put trees in. So they can't, you have no line of sight. You can't see it. <laughs> and uh, so he wanted them to build a, uh, and his face just dropped down to the ground because, you know, to, to change the infrastructure in a, you know, several billion dollar complex that was being built, um, right. you know, what would, you know, when they're almost finished and they're in the stages of planning and, um, you know, and, and everyone else around is kind of like, you know, big smiles on the face. Cause like, well, I just saved them, you know, a lot of hassle from uh, this, uh, this person who was uh, asking them to, you know, well, maybe you should build a wall. And I'm like, well, I think line of sight, um, you know, we'll, we'll take the, we'll take the line of sight out of the game. Um, so that, so the individual who's, you know, specifically knows where to shoot from this one location, but there's cameras all over this place. Right. So as well, in addition to sensors and everything else. So anyway, um, yeah. it was just, uh, it just raised a, uh, a smile on everyone's face and, uh, and uh, we moved on. Yeah, well, years later, it, it, the my, the story about the Marine pulling the weapon on the FBI agent uh, kind of came home for me because years later, it might have been the same year, I don't remember, uh, I was actually out in England uh, observing a exercise, similar exercise to what we what I just ran uh, with your AWE, so the Atomic Weapons yep. Staff, if I'm not mistaken, um, and they have their own security, just like, you know, the Department of Defense does or DOE in this case. And, you know, they have a little perimeter around a weapon and, and I'm clearly marked as an observer. Like I am not here to do anything, but to observe, kind of see how they do work. And this, the one, one guard, what have you, basically gave me the, you know, the hand stop, like, Hey, sorry, you can't go forward. Well, quickly I realized like, you know, hundred percent, you're right. I am not in charge. I am not going over there. Yeah. I'm going to go over here and have a cup of tea. So uh, yeah, <laughs> so sometimes you learn what not to do. Right. Uh, yeah. That case, so uh, yeah, I learned that. I learned my lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Don S says uh, still works for for us. He's a retired uh, naval captain, naval intelligence, and uh, he held the intelligence chair uh, on his last post here in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, at the War College. And uh, one of the one of his famous quotes is always, "I didn't know, I didn't know that." Right. So, uh, me meaning, you know, until we come together and you know find out what those problems are, we can't work on those problems. Right. Okay, well, this has been great. Um, you know, I guess we'll, we'll wrap up here. Um, I always like to end, and of course, we've been talking about all things uh, exercises here today. Um, and I'd love your perspective, you know, as we wrap up, I guess, in a summary here on exercises, um, you know, what's your perspective on them? And, uh, you know, of course, we understand, you know, they're important, but why? Well, I think uh, exercises are vitally important because they allow you to update and improve your plans, right? That's somewhat of a bottom line. Like if you don't, do some level of exercise or exercising, you're not updating or improving any of your plans. Um, and without doing so, you absolutely will have a false sense of readiness. There's no other way to say that. If you don't do some level of exercising, you in your mind will think, oh, well, we're definitely good. Don't worry about it. I mean, it hasn't happened yet. So let's, you know, we're, we're good. Um, or, hey, we'll just do a tabletop and we'll think that will suffice to be, you know, doing a full scale exercise, for example. Um, as I said before, the you know uh, Department of Defense you know puts a uh, a ton of time, effort, money, blood, sweat, and tears into exercising its forces because they are um, 
always trying to validate and improve their readiness. And so it doesn't matter if you're a you know, local city, a county, state, what have you, um, or a federal government. If, you, if you're not exercising it, then you, you don't really have uh, an idea what you're, you're capable of responding to. So, um, and, and more importantly, you don't need, and this is where it, that people need to, I hate that term thing outside the box, but right. you don't need to, to spend your entire annual budget or future draft picks, as I would joke, to, to exercise. You can do tabletop exercises for say one hour. That's how much is that really gonna cost you? Or, you know, a MapEx, you know, a map exercise, which is if you look at the news and you see all these people with the map of Ukraine or wherever, and they're seeing where all these people are going, you can still do that type of exercise with all the, 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 the appropriate people. And in that you can exercise logistics, you can do all sorts of things um, that does not break the bank. It doesn't right. take a lot of time away from home, doesn't mean you need to go travel anywhere. Like you can do a lot of things without, you know, having a full scale exercise every month. Sure. So, but nonetheless, you know, some level of improvement, any level of improvement is better than nothing. So uh, absolutely do some type of exercise or training um, so that you're that much better prepared for, unfortunately, when these types of events take place. Yeah, great. Great advice. And with those, um, those mini scenarios are, are really valuable. And we're, we're finding they, they're being, you know, a little bit more accepted now um, versus waiting for the big tabletop at the end of the year or the big exercise once every so many years. So uh, that's, uh, that's uh, great advice there at the end, Matt. I appreciate uh, your time today. Um, I appreciate so it. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, yeah, no. So just for our listeners, Matt, uh, as we start to wrap up here, if they want to get a hold of you, um, how can they get a hold of you? I'm sure via LinkedIn, um, but uh, also any final comments? Yeah, the, probably the best way to get in touch with me uh, you know, is through this forum on LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty quick to respond back if, you know, uh, any questions, comments, concerns, and, you know, read comments based on this, uh, you know, podcast. <clears throat> so, yeah, I look forward to, to hearing any, any uh, comments people have. Um, but again, back to what I just finished with, like uh, anyone listening, by all means, try to exercise your your plans uh, as, as best you can. And, and, and again, small little improvements are better than, you know, waiting for, you know, one annual, you know, large full scale exercise or, or large tabletop. Um, but uh, yeah, that's how I close it. Great. Well, um, again, thank you for your time today, Matt. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, thanks for all our listeners uh, for listening in uh, to this episode. Uh, we're coming up to the 100th soon, and we'll have a special episode on our 100th one. And uh, we look forward to that. But uh, in the meantime, uh, please rate us on iTunes or wherever, wherever else you're listening to this. I know there's hundreds of different podcast outlets now. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on this one. And uh, and hopefully um, we will see you on the next episode. Thanks again, Matt, today. Mm -hmm.